How are we? Penitent New Year to you. <laughs> that would give me like, what? What? Let's pray about it. Lord, thank you that here we are, day one of a new year, 2023. And we acknowledge this morning, Lord, that you are sovereign over our lives, our families, all of our relationships. You're sovereign over our nation, uh, over the planet, over every government. And you are all powerful. You do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And you are the God whom we serve, we love, we adore, we live for the God who has given us life and hope and a future. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning at the front end of this year, that, uh, Lord, we might set kind of our trajectory for this to be a year of going deeper with you, of really concentrating on intimacy with our God. And, and so speak to us through the pages of Scripture this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you got my email uh, yesterday, then you know that I wasn't intending uh, on giving this message this morning. I really was intending on uh, hitting First Chronicles 12 and the tribe of Issachar and men of understanding, understanding the times and knowing what to do, you know, and, uh, you know, it's something I'm sure we'll address at some point in the year, maybe a time or two. But, uh, yeah, I could not escape kind of this uh, subject in this psalm this week, so I, I took that to mean that this is what the Lord <laughs> wants for us this morning. So, Happy New Year. Okay, so that, I was thinking about this, this, that's a little bit of a strange thing to, to wish for somebody, at least for a Christian. And, and let me explain, uh, for some of us, 2022 probably wasn't so much a happy year. Um, it, it was a hard year. I mean, you know, a few of you stayed up last night, probably just to make sure 2022 left and was like fully like, is it gone? Okay, whoa. And, and, and by the way, a lot of you are probably like me, you, you skip the first week of going to the gym of the year, right? Because it's so crowded. Everybody's making their resolutions and going to the gym. And so uh, I don't have an excuse why I skip the other 51 weeks, but that is an excuse for week one. But for Christians, the Lord is always moving us into joy into joy, and joy is a little different than happiness. The word happy appears uh, in the Bible about, uh, oh, nine or ten times, but is rooted in the word uh, blessed or, or well-being, that kind of thing. It's probably different than how we think culturally of what happy is. And so the joy of the Lord, it transcends circumstances, so circumstances in life can be really rough and really hard, but the joy of the Lord is not taken away from us by the circumstance. So joy is not 
tethered to whether our life happens to be easy and comfortable at the moment. The joy of the Lord can't be derailed by difficulty and hardship. And in fact, difficulty and hardship at times can move us into deeper joy with the Lord. And so the joy of the Lord is, it's relational. It's of the Lord. It's from Him. It's in Him. And so it's derived from our relationship with Him. If I'm walking with the Lord in fellowship with Him, in closeness with Him, I will experience, I will experience the joy of the Lord. It's not a maybe, it's I will. And so therefore, the biggest enemy of the joy of the Lord in our lives is a hardness of heart towards God. Uh, uh, a hardness of heart that, that creates distance between us and the Lord. And so the opposite of a hard heart obviously is a, a soft heart, right? Uh, or, or a penitent heart. I wished you a penitent new year. <laughs> and you looked at me like, what does that even mean? Penitent appears in the Bible really one time, but it means tender or soft tender or soft, especially toward the Lord. There are seven what are called penitential psalms in the Bible. Psalms that are written by men, mostly David, but, but in these seven penitential psalms, the writers express a tender heart, a soft heart toward God, whereas they've had to work through a hard heart towards God and distance from God. And that penitence, that softening of the heart to the Lord in our lives is prelude to joy, always. It's always that way. So we'll look briefly this morning at maybe the mo most famous example uh, of this, and it's in Psalm 51. Uh, but David had a year of having a hard heart toward God. And he, he had committed some terrible sins, two primarily, <laughs> two sins primarily, and they were both, you know, pretty serious, adultery and murder, you know, arranging the murder uh, of Uriah. So, so just to remind you of how kind of twisted that whole thing was, David was... Uh, a 50-year-old man, at least 50, probably in his 50s, most scholars believe, and Bathsheba was 20-ish. And so David, who should have been at war with his men, is on the uh, rooftop of the palace, and he sees Bathsheba, this young 20-year-old gal, bathing uh, beneath and in full view of David. Now, we, can't ascribe any motives to Bathsheba. The Bible doesn't speak to that. But we do know David's actions. He, of course, he looked, he stared, and he eventually summonsed her. And you know the rest of the story. Well, Bathsheba's grandpa was a guy named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel um, was actually David's trusted friend and counselor. And most scholars believe that Ahithophel is the guy being referred to in Psalm 55, where David says, 
you know, uh, if, if it wasn't a trusted friend and counselor that, that betrayed me, it wouldn't hurt so bad. <laughs> you see, Ahithophel, when David's son Absalom rebelled against David and staged a coup and overtook the throne in Jerusalem, Ahithophel sided with Absalom. And, and I, I think there's little doubt that Ahithophel's, um, you know, willingness to abandon David and give his loyalty to David's son, that was planted in Ahithophel by the fact that David, what David did to his granddaughter. Well, what did David do after he committed those sins? Did he repent? Nope. He did not repent. In fact, he covered them up. He desperately worked to cover up his sins and to move on with his life. Listen, the natural pattern of God's people, of God's people, when they sin, when we sin, is to cover it up and move on with life. That pattern has been established in the garden with our first parents. Like, I do not, I, do, I want this to go away. Man, I screwed up. Man, if anybody found out about this, I'd be in big trouble. And there are all kinds of consequences could happen. So I need to cover that thing up and let's just move on. Nothing to see here. And that is in every one of us to do when we sin. Cover the thing up and move on. You know, maybe try to get my life together, try to work on this thing or whatever. So did David have a happy new year that year? Following his sins? No, he did not have a happy new year. In fact, I would argue he had the worst year of his life. He writes about it in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, 3, he talks about my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Okay, this was my life last year, David is saying. Like, I'm internally just upset and struggling. I groan. I'm just, uh, I'm going through my day, uh, dread. David was, was wealthy beyond his dreams. He lived in a palace. He, his days were nevertheless filled with groaning and internal ache. His strength was dried up, he says in Psalm 32, 4. He had no energy. He lost his mojo, we would say. That, that fire to get out of bed and go put your hands to the plow and do what God has called you to do and, and all of that, that was gone. There was lethargy and depression. The natural sequence to sin is not repentance, but hiding from God. And hiding from God and trying to move on with our lives is always painful. But David's misery perhaps your misery from this last year and carrying into this one now, maybe, was a sure sign that God loved him. 
that David was really the Lord's. A person who has never really known the Lord or loved the Lord will not miss him when he's gone. But if you are the Lord's, you can never really be happy when you're hiding from him and trying to move on in your life. You just can't. And so that was David's experience. And if you are the Lord's, it will be your experience. Now, we might expect that the Lord's posture towards David at that point, he's committed these sins, he's covered them up, he's trying to move on with his life and, and that whole thing, that the Lord's disposition would be, okay, David, you made your choices, you made your bed, you're gonna have to lie in it. So, um, you know, your choices have made you miserable. I'm, I'm here when you finally get sick and tired of being sick and tired and uh, balls in your court, confess, repent, and, and uh, I'll forgive you, but I'll, I'm waiting. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't take that posture? And was thinking about this, isn't it interesting that even if we sort of conjure up some sort of, you know, confession to the Lord, I was thinking about uh, the previous king, Saul, who after he disobeyed God, God said, Saul, I've chosen you to go destroy the Amalekites. Remember the Amalekites who attacked uh, the, the, the God's people in the Exodus and killed the old and the sickly in the back and so on. And God said, I'm going to remember this. And, and the, God gave the task of attacking the Amalekites and destroying them to Saul. And Saul goes, okay, here we go. The only thing is you do not take any uh, livestock. You do not spare anyone, even the king. And what did Saul do? He spared the king and he took the livestock. So Samuel comes to Saul after this thing happened and said, Saul, what's that I hear? The bleeding of sheep. Uh, uh, well, the people decided they wanted to take a few, you know, a few animals to sacrifice to God, of course. And Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to him. You're guilty, dude. And Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul, and it's in... Uh, 1 Samuel 15, 24, Saul says, I have sinned. He didn't deny it at that point. But if you know the story of Saul, he continued to defy the Lord and to continue in rebellion. Think of Judas. I looked at this passage this week. Judas in Matthew 27, when Judas saw after he had, you know, gotten the 30 pieces of silver and sold Jesus, you know, and that, you know, made money on it and all of that. He sees Jesus being roughed up and taken away. He, it hits him emotionally. Jesus, who he's been with, you know, for all this time and he sees what's happening to him. And, and it kind of wrecks him emotionally. And Matthew 27, 4 Judas said, I have sinned. Therefore, we must conclude it's possible to admit your guilt and continue in rebellion against God. It's possible to admit your guilt and then give in to despair. 
But after God sent Nathan to Nathan the prophet to David to, to speak to David the word of the Lord, you remember what Nathan did. He told David this, this scenario that was happening in the kingdom that involved a wealthy man who had a traveler come to his house, wanted to feed the traveler, but rather than taking of his own livestock, of which he had plenty, he went to his neighbor who had one poor little lamb that was a pet lamb, had a name and everything, took the neighbor's one lamb and slew it to feed the traveler. And David heard that story, you know, uh, Nathan's presenting it to him, like, man, there's a guy, out, a dude out there in your kingdom that just did that. And David flies off the handle and said, we're going to put that guy to death. He was infuriated. And Nathan says, you're the man. It's you. What a moment. Because David, no doubt, felt that the prophet Nathan, speaking the word of the Lord, it was God himself. He was hearing God speak to him directly. And it devastated him. It absolutely devastated him. David's response, 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, that's essentially what Saul said. That's essentially what Judas said. But David was forgiven and David was restored. Why? If Saul admitted his sin, if Judas admitted their sin, neither of them experienced forgiveness and restoration. What's the difference? What's going on here? Well, here's a, here's a clue anyway. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, will always be accompanied by and tethered to repentance, which will always result in no regret. On the other hand, worldly sorrow, it's sorrow, looks the same, comes with tears typically. Worldly sorrow brings death. That's the difference. That's why one person says, I have sinned, and is not, it is not accompanied with repentance, therefore, Regret is not alleviated, and the other person says, I've sinned against the Lord. It is accompanied by repentance and therefore alleviates regret. The Word of God broke through in David's life when nothing else could. The Word of God spoken of by the prophet of God Remember, God has spoken to us in various ways in times past through prophets. That was God's word being spoken to David. It brought godly sorrow in David, which in turn was accompanied by repentance. 
time did not bring repentance. Conscience did not bring repentance. The Word of God broke through where nothing else could break through in David. Do not underestimate the power of God's Word to break through your hard heart. My Word, Isaiah 55, 11, shall not return to me empty, but it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's Word can bring change in your life when nothing else can. David was completely forgiven and completely washed clean. Absolutely. Now you say, well, were there consequences? Yes, there were. There always is. You can't get away from sowing what you reap. That's an immutable law of life on a fallen planet. 2 Samuel 12, 9, here's what God said, why have you, or through Nathan, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. The result of this now, don't, don't read that to mean that God is actively going to cause the division in the house. No, this is a consequence of David's actions. So, so we have consequences that will be attached to our actions. That's the way it works in life. I don't know if you've noticed that. But it's an important principle from scripture, it, it's reiterated in numerous places, but here's a, here's a good example. Jeremiah 2.19, your own wickedness will correct you. Your own wickedness will correct you. So think about how this worked, for instance, in the life of Jacob. Jacob's great sin in his life, and it was kind of a pattern in his life, was deception. He was the deceiver, the conniver, the manipulator, and he was really good at it. He could pull the wool over just about anybody's eyes, even his own father. The Bible says that he, he pretended to be Esau and, and then stole by his deception the blessing that belonged to his brother. You remember, he got it for a pot of, of stew. And how did God discipline Jacob, how did God's discipline operate in Jacob's life? Well, the discipline that happened in Jacob's life was a reflection of his own sin. Think about uh, his eventual father-in-law, Laban. What did Laban do when Jacob came pining for Rebekah? Or Rachel, rather. What did Laban do? Laban deceived Jacob. He deceived the deceiver and gave him Leah instead in order to gain another seven years of labor from Jacob. 
Then he was deceived, Jacob was, by his own sons. His own sons deceived their dad. When, when they told father Jacob that his favorite boy, Joseph, was killed by wild animals. And those deceptions that were done against Jacob brought years of difficulty and pain and heartache to him. Jacob lived with deception until the day, or rather until the sin that he used to love <laughs> became the sin he hated. Why is God exercising discipline in David's life? by allowing David to face the consequences of his actions. Because God is not done with David, that's why. God's discipline in David's life is the, the sure proof that God loves him and has more work for him to do. God is restoring David and restoring is, well, it's more than forgiving. Restoring is, is purging out of our character what led to the sins that we've committed. It, it, it's, it, it's bringing David to the place where he hates those things that he did, did previously in his life. This is God changing David, shaping him to make him into a different and a better man. And that's what God is doing in your life too, and mine. Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline is painful. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Man, it's hard. Life can be so hard at times. It really can. But for those who have a soft heart to God and, and you've come out of hiding and the confession uh, is coupled with repentance, it was you know, tethered to repentance, and now you've, you know the Lord has forgiven you. And even though there's consequences going on right now, you know there's value. You know that your Father is shaping you and molding you and preparing you for the work He has before you. And it will bear fruit. David's heart was softened and he became tender toward God after probably close to a year uh, after having committed the sins and so on. His love for the Lord was revived and, and it began to flourish again. And church, this is what I desire for each of you this year and for me this year is penitent hearts. Hearts that are soft toward God 
Have I, do I have something in my past, it could be a year ago or half a year, whatever it is, and I didn't, I didn't deal with it before the Lord. I covered it up and moved on because I just, I just, what, I want to just forget about this thing. I'm ashamed of it, and I'm just going to cover up and just try and go on with life. But you find yourself groaning in life. You find yourself feeling like God's a million miles away. Theologically, you assure yourself, well, I know he's not. I know he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know that the work he's begun, he's going to complete. You know, you can start quoting the verses, but he feels up a million miles away and has for a half a year or a year could it be that there's something that you covered up and hid and tried to move on from in your life? Like David, like Adam and Eve, like all humans do when they sin. We're going to close just by reading a couple of pieces. I need to get to the psalm. I told you we were going to be in this psalm. <laughs> so I don't want to be called a liar this morning, especially when it's a sermon on sin. So you know what I'm saying. So David, in Psalm 51, here's, here's what penitence looks like, okay? Here's what a soft heart towards God looks like. So he says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. So, so David is asking for mercy and he's acknowledging that God has a never stopping, never interrupted love, okay? So, so it doesn't get interrupted when I sin. It doesn't stop then. We're, we're not on this roller coaster, God loves me, or put, you know, doing the thing with the flower. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. No, it's not like that. David is, he's, he's confirmed that God is steadfast in his love. And he says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Like if they're, if they're in a book, in the book of my life, the word blot, in the book of my life, there's this, this chapter or this least couple paragraphs that are, I'm so ashamed of, Lord, take your eraser, whatever, and blot them out. Get them out of the book of my life. Now, I don't want that to be on the record of my life. Now, we might ask, well, geez, God put it in the Bible, <laughs> right? Like, woo. But I'll tell you what, in the Lamb's book of life, there will be nothing of David committing any sins, nor you if you're a believer here this morning. Blot it out. Transgression, there's numerous words, you know, that sort of help characterize our disobedience to God. Disobedience is one of them. But transgression, the root of that word means rebellion. That's like, I know that 
God says this, you know, don't do this. I'm doing it anyway. But then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly. Like, like don't just get most of the stain out. Like every bit of it. I want it gone. And so the word iniquity is interesting because the root of it, it means perversity. Now, immediately you think of the sexual part of it, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that. Perversity, the root of that Hebrew word, it means twisted, uh, distorted. So what David is acknowledging is that I've rebelled against you. I've gone directly against your commandments in my life. And it's resulted in me being twisted inside. So I'm not thinking clearly. I'm not thinking virtuously. I'm struggling to see clearly in life. I'm twisted inside. My, a lot of my thoughts that I'm having are not good. They're distorted. They're not godly. They're not holy. And so, so Lord, cleanse me from that. And cleanse me from my sins. My sins. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from it. As much as I tried, as much as I wanted to just cover up and move on with my life, I know I can't. It's impossible for the child of God. And against you, and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So here, here's a good sign that you have a penitent heart, that as you talk to the Lord and deal with your sins before the Lord, you realize that your sins, even though it might have been against him or against her or against them, it's ultimately against your God. And so it goes right back to your relationship with your maker. And not only that, but you're, you're in the right place of heart. You're, you have a penitent heart when you say, God, whatever the consequences are. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. You're justified. Even though I might have to, you know, be embarrassed because I'm going to have to tell so-and-so or even though uh, it's okay. Because, Lord, you're justified in your judgments. And then he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, so some people have tried to make this verse uh, uh, a commentary on David's parents and David like somehow being born out of wed wedlock or something like that. Um, it's just not true. It's a theological recognition. That's what this verse is. In Sin, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. David is, is sort of bringing forth 
to his thinking and, and even before the Lord that the reality of my condition as a son of Adam is that I, I have these, these uh, possibilities in me, these proclivities in me, these tendencies in me. And so, so I don't want to be fooled into thinking I'm such a good guy. And especially as I came up on the scene through the ranks as the guy who killed Goliath and as the guy who wrote the worship songs that could soothe the King Saul and all the women were loving me and I had great victories and, and all this stuff. I, I want to just acknowledge right now that I'm, I'm sinful to the core like all humans are. We have a sin nature. So, David says, behold, or we might say, therefore, you delight in truth, in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That's what God wants from you from me is truth from the very bottom, the core. He wants to get through all the levels that maybe build up and for you to give the very core, the contents of the core of your heart to him. And that's where God is going to impart wisdom to you. Because it's relational. Wow. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. See, David knows that we're always moving towards joy. That that's, God is a God of joy. The joy that we, that we experience is the joy of the Lord. So David, David knows that. And he knows that the, the last year, the most, you know, difficult year of his life was because of his hard heart and the joy of the Lord being far from him. Then he says in verse 10, and we'll be done. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation. There it is again. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Uphold me. Because some of you are like, okay, I, I feel like God is speaking to me. I feel like I might be having a Nathan moment. The word of the Lord is coming to me this morning. And, and if the word of the Lord comes to me like it did David, and, and I admit I'm the man, and, you know, and that whole thing, well, I know it's going to have consequences, you know, all of that. But I don't trust me to go forward in life. I mean, I've screwed up. Like, I've been in this, this mode of life for this long. I don't know how to, really how to get out of here. So, so I think uh, I'll just do it again. And then something else after that. 
But do you see what David prayed? He said, you uphold me with a willing spirit. So, so he's not saying, God, please be willing to uphold me. He's saying, God, you be beneath my willingness. Like you be the one to bolster my willingness to do what's right, to walk with you. Get underneath it all, God, in me. And then, then, verse 13, I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to you. Man, then there's gonna be fruitfulness in your life that you, that you haven't seen probably to this point. It seems counterintuitive. You know, I screwed up and oh, people are, you know, I screwed up or whatever. Oh, listen. We're all a bunch of screw-ups, okay? That's the story of the gospel. We're all fallen. We get, we get saved by the grace of God, and then we figure out we don't have it all together still, and we fail in life, and, and so on, and the pattern of sinning and then covering up and trying to move on, and, you know, the whole thing. It repeats, even as Christians. And so when you, like David, you... Because you're hearing God or through the prophet, through the word of God, see you're the man. And you say, I have sinned against the Lord. And now your confession of guilt is coupled with repentance. Now you're going to have a story to tell. Because you're gonna feel, you're gonna feel the weight, the groaning that's been plaguing you for all this time is gonna be lifted. And there's gonna be, your bones are gonna be rejoicing instead of groaning. And now you're gonna have a story to tell. And it's a story of your failure and God's grace and faithfulness. And that is all of our stories to one degree or another. It's certainly your story of salvation. You didn't climb the mountain of holiness to get to God and be accepted by God, right? You admitted your failure as a human. The same holds true in your life now as his son and daughter. Penitent New Year to you, church. Let's pray. Soft hearts. Lord, and that's what we need. We're, uh, we're good at covering things up and moving on or trying to. But we do not succeed at actually moving on from our sins and our actions. And so you are patient with us and Allow us to experience the, the fruit of that, and the distance that we feel between us and you. But at a certain point, and maybe it's different points, maybe we can push you off when, the, when the, you send the word of the Lord to us. I suppose that that's possible and true for some. But Lord, for those 
who have heard the word of the Lord this morning for their own life. And they are convicted by it. And they are saying within themselves and perhaps to you even now, I am the man. I am the one who has done this evil thing. And so, Lord, as your people uh, confess and admit, Lord, would you grant them repentance and the joy of forgiveness and restoration as a result. If that's you this morning, stand to your feet. spoken to you. Stand to your feet. with God right now. I get it. I get it. Be like Jacob. And don't let go until God gives you a blessing. That was the moment when Jacob's name was changed to Israel which means governed by God. All right, anybody else? So Lord, for everyone who's standing right now in this place, we are saying to you, Lord, I am the man. I have done evil in your sight. I have transgressed and rebelled against you. I have sinned, Lord. So wash me thoroughly from my sins. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I turn from my rebellion towards you. Lord, erase the distance that I've been feeling between me and you. Lord, you have access to the depths of my heart. Lord, I'm concerned that I'm just going to follow a pattern of my life that I've been following for months or years. And so, Lord, I want you to uphold a willing spirit in me. Lord, I'm giving you access to go underneath everything and get to the, the core of me. And I want to live out my days for you. 
And so whatever the consequences are, Lord, if I need to to reconcile with someone or confess to someone or go to the police and turn myself in or, 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 Lord, you are righteous when you judge. And so I embrace, Lord, the consequences. Knowing that you are with me. so, Lord, when you restore me, I'm going to tell people about you and your great grace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.